This is Channel 253. In this episode of Interchangeable White Ladies. Because there's a misconception on who a scientist Mm -hmm. is. And when people Mm -hmm. look at me or speak to me, they don't think, oh, she's a scientist. She knows her stuff. Yes, I do. Why? Why wouldn't I? Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. One, two, two. interchangeable. White ladies! Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Megan. So today's essential question is, what does equity in science education in the corona era look like? And how might teachers continue to evolve their practices to engage students in a virtual space? So we're so excited to have Chanel Johnson on the show today. And this is a bio that I actually took from Leading Equity Interview. And I'll I'll link to that in the show notes. They wrote it so well, I just could not handled not using it. So Chanel Johnson is a STEM program specialist in Atlanta. She leads at least 18 schools in science, technology, engineering, and math. More importantly, she shows them how they can integrate technology with effective instructional strategies and often leads professional (laughs) development around understanding both the content and the pedagogy. Chanel also works as a district coach to help teachers and schools to see how they're using technology in more transformative ways and how to, quote, teach to reach, unquote. She's also an ASCD 2019 emerging leader which is when I met her, um, OVA, our Voice Academy Cohort 4. She's an ambassador for programs such as Flipgrid, Nearpod, Discovery Education, MIE, just to name a few. Chanel is also a co-author to the book, The Girlfriend Code, the sorority edition, where she talks about her experiences as a member of Sigma Gamma Rho, Inc., and how it led her to discover code. She's conducted several professional developments in training coaches, education, and instructional leaders, and she's presented at numerous conferences such as ISTE, NSTA, and hosted multiple Twitter chats, and um, she's participated at the Educational Technology Conference in Georgia. We are so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Well, thank you for having me. We're excited to have you here. Likewise, I'm so happy to have an opportunity to just connect with my fellow ASCD Emerging Leader cohort member again. You know, that was a really fun opportunity to meet so many new people. And so it was really good around this time being our anniversary to connect with everyone again. Happy anniversary, 19. Happy anniversary to us. (laughs) (laughs) And to everybody from that cohort who is listening today. Um, We're so excited to connect again. So so before we really jump into... Um, the conversation about science education in the post-COVID world, which we're so excited to have that conversation with you. We would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the current presidential election and the historical role of Georgia. So you are currently living in Georgia, correct? Yes, I am. So so just curious of like what it's been like to live in this like hotbed, all uh, the entire country's eyes on Georgia. What has it been like there for the last several days? Um, well, pins and needles, of course. Um For a lot of us, we haven't seen our state blue um, since many of us either were small children or some of us weren't even alive yet. So this is new. Um, It really highlights the importance of getting your voice out there, getting out there to vote and just seeing the numerous opportunities 
for people to vote. Um, for example, there were for anyone that was absentee, they had their special specific mailboxes you can drop your ballots in. Um, there are many places you could vote early. So they were very intentional about getting people to get out there and vote. And especially in the community where I live, there were many people in previous elections who didn't vote or mm -hmm. and for whatever reasons they've had. So really to see my community get out there and, you know, take our, you know, be responsible about voting. It's been very empowering. But again, we're just sitting and we're waiting to see what happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, it's interesting that you talk about like this expansion and the ease at which there was to vote. Um, so with like Stacey Abrams and like other activists that are like fighting to expand the right mm -hmm. to vote over the last decade. Um, and, and you're talking about this year that more people are showing up, but have you noticed a shift in um, like the shift in feelings around like voting over that decade in, in Georgia. I'm not sure how long you've lived in Georgia. Um, born but just and raised. Born and raised. So, so just have you noticed a shift or experienced that shift of um, the attitudes around voting or, or the expansion of voting? Yes. And I will say, one, I live in Atlanta. So, you know, Atlanta is not Georgia. <laughs> I mean, it's, mm -hmm. we're in Georgia. Mm -hmm. but you get where I'm going. Yeah. There's Atlanta and then yeah. there's Georgia. Yeah. That's just how mm -hmm. it is. So what we how we are in Atlanta does not always represent what it's like in other parts of Georgia. Yeah. And even for someone like me, I don't I'm because I'm spoiled and I'm from here. I don't always think of it that way. And I have to remember that. that oh, mm -hmm. wow. We do things different. Um mm -hmm. But I will also say that as far as just the shift in the attitudes, um, even with my generation, there were some of us and I'm in Facebook and social media has a good way of collecting receipts on how people <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so there friends and that years ago would say, I'm not voting. I'm not doing this. And of course, I don't respond to people. I don't respond to you. Your right is your right. Your opinion is your opinion. I don't respond to it because um, I know what my responsibilities are and I know what I'm going to do. But just mm -hmm. to see people who were once saying that this is, you know, I'm not doing this. I don't believe in this. My, my vote doesn't count to now seeing that transition to see that shift that yes, I'm out here early voting. Here's my sticker. So now it's kind of one of those things I could have responded years to, years ago, but then it would have been a conflict and then we don't have yeah. for it. But mm -hmm. now you just kind of wait and see and just watch people change. But then of course, on the flip side, I've seen people, I've seen a lot of changes. Okay. I've seen people flip from this is my responsibility to vote. Now I don't believe in any of these candidates, so I'm not going to do it. So yeah. mm -hmm. there, there is no one answer, but there yeah. definitely is a shift. And I can definitely tell you now that because you know where we are right now, people in Atlanta, they're very proud. So many memes out there, so many videos. So yeah. since we're yeah. very prideful right now and you know, celebrating at home. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Well, because after so after so long of not seeing the results that you want to see, I'm sure like apathy grows, right? Like that if you feel as though your vote doesn't matter or doesn't count or doesn't impact the results, like you said, Atlanta versus Georgia, it's like, I'm sure apathy grows. And this is, you know, I'm sure an election where they're like, 
okay, so there actually is results. There's impact of the vote, right? There are results. We are seeing the result that we were hoping for. And so I think um, that that's a really interesting like microcosm that's happening in, in Georgia right now. Absolutely. And um, definitely I will even add that those misconceptions or those thoughts that many of us may have had in the past that our vote doesn't count were versus voter suppression was real here. And mm-hmm. we don't necessarily yeah. know what was going on, but just seeing how long it's taking right now, how they're making sure you're counting every mm-hmm. single vote that, wow, if it's taking this long and we've gotten it done so quickly in the past, you know, what's really going on? Or, mm-hmm, you know, right. my own kids are really into this. And I have very young kids. I have a 10-year-old and I have seven-year-old twins. And, you know, they're even pins and needles. And I try not to talk about yeah. it too much, but they're really paying attention. They're asking yeah. questions such as, hey, were there enough um were there enough machines for you to vote in? Did, did, did you have everything you needed? How do you know all of that? So I, <laughs> I didn't ask my mom that at 10, but they're listening. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think like what the point of, you know, even in 2018 in the gubernatorial race, right? The governor race that they, it, there's a, Georgia is not removed from um, practices of voter suppression. And there were active, efforts in the 2020 election, right, to, to have active voter suppression. So I, I, I appreciate that you, um, you brought that up as well for the conversation. <sighs> so I appreciate you <laughs> indulging us in having that conversation. Yeah. Hope and I, when we were getting ready for the episode, we were like, oh, she's in Georgia. That's the all eyes are on Georgia. So <laughs> right. we appreciate yeah. you. We appreciate you Thank indulging you. us in a very brief um, election talk, but now moving into why you're really here. Um, so that before we dive into the STEM conversation, can you tell our listeners just a bit about what brought you into like the teaching science education world? Funny story. So um, I started off in middle grade education. Um, and in my cohort, you had to pick two concentrations. You had to pick, you know, you math, science, ELA, social studies. Well, in my mind, I said math and they're telling and then I remember um, my professor. So what is your other one going to be? I don't know. Math and math. No, pick another one. Okay, math and science. You know, I will always have a job there. I will always. Because that's what they told you in undergrad. Right. Yeah. And honestly, I did not care for science at first. And it's so funny because my dad love science and he would build those um he would build me up and teach me so many things and I'm literally ignoring him or at least I thought I was but then when I needed that information (laughs) oh this is what he said but then on the flip side my husband is math so I would hear them both fighting over what Chanel is going to teach she's math she's science and finally you know what I'm both I'm just gonna do them both (laughs) and so I honestly got the science certification because I had to right and which comes to show my first year teaching, I was actually teaching math for four weeks. And, um, you know, after that 10 day count transitions have to happen. And I was moved to seventh grade science. And, wow. it, and that's where the journey started. <laughs> <laughs> so what kept you staying in the STEM then once you showed up? I mean, you could have moved back to math or changed completely. Well, in some schools, you know, you're going to 
you're going to go where the certification says you can go and you're going to go yeah. based on where there is a need. And actually my second year teaching, the second thing happened again. I started off with math, but then another situation happened with um, just enrollment. So, so I was moved to eighth grade physical science and in eighth grade physical science, at least in Georgia, well, physical science period, there's a lot of math and science concepts. Mm-hmm. So I found my home. And when you're oh, in cool. eighth grade physical science and you do well there, they often don't move you from there. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. became my baby because I got the math with formulas and the concepts and then actual science content i was home (laughs) (laughs) love one of the things on your bio it says that you call yourself a steminist and so i was curious if you could talk about um what is that what is a steminist why are you a steminist should other people be steminists yes so good question this actually i don't know where my friend patricia a really good friend of mine and you should definitely um look her up miss ed techie she um is a steminist I remember her saying it is in her bio and she's a, um, a, an amazing STEM instructor in St. Louis. And I remember just seeing it on her bio and I said, Ooh, I love that. And then she makes these amazing shirts and she, I go broke looking at her website cause she has so <laughs> much stuff and she knows like, I can't buy anything else out of here. But she made me this beautiful stimulus shirt with glitter pink with my um, Twitter handle on the back. And but and I felt like that name, the Steminist, yeah. the STEM is female too. There's so many misconceptions on one, what science educators look like, what scientists look like, what mathematicians look like, that, you know, those misconceptions are there. And I wanted to be clear that a Steminist can be female, a female in STEM. So, yep. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk a little bit of, actually a bit more about that. So when you're thinking about just contrasting what people expect when they see scientists, mathematicians, like you said, being female, also being a person of color, um, what are you seeing in terms of the way that's shifting or is it shifting or changing? We've talked, we, we've had a few interviews on our show a little bit around science and equity issues. Uh, I'm curious in your experience, what have you seen in terms of that? Um, yeah, just start off with that, I guess. Okay, so remember, I live in Atlanta. Um yeah. So Atlanta is very different from the rest of the world. So in my mind, and this is me learning just how the world can be. In my mind, when I see movies like Back to the Future, which is actually one of my favorite movies, (laughs) I look at it as with Doc Brown, I can do that too. I can be like, that's already in me. My dad has put that in me. You can be, you know, and my mom. Let's got to talk about mom because she'll kill me if I don't. (laughs) (laughs) But my dad was the science and he put that in me that you can be whatever. There was no question about that. Right. Mm, mm -hmm. But everyone doesn't think that way. And that hit me hard one time when I was actually taking my STEM students. And when I was teaching, I mean, I taught black and brown students. And we went to Georgia Tech to this STEM function. And I remember one particular student, um, she said to me, this is great and all, but I can never do this. Hmm. Why? Um, STEM scientists don't look like me. Look like what? Female? Hispanic? Black? What? What? And she had to really tell me, this is a child, tell me what she's thinking, what misconception she has. And I said to her, no, no, ma'am, I don't know who told you that, but that's not the way of this world. And that's not how we're going to think in this class with me. 
let's get to it. You will have the tool, everything you need. I'm going to make sure you have it and including your confidence and your mindset, because if you can fix your mindset, you can be anything you want. So that's when I started to learn that everyone doesn't think that way there. And then how are we as educators ensuring that our students don't think that way? And if they do Mm -hmm. think that way, how are we making sure that they don't? And we're providing those experiences for such as, showing them that there are diverse scientists out there. There are people who look like me and you are doing their thing. And if they don't, and if they're not out there, you have the yeah. power to be that person, be the person that we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. So thinking about that, right. So that as teachers, the importance of ba- breaking down the mental barriers that students have about like who they see themselves as and who they see, see themselves, who they can be. But also for people listening that aren't teachers, right? How can how can general people, the general population, begin to combat this like this barrier that there is between people of color, right? This, this barrier between people of color in the STEM field. Is there anything that they can do, take action um, to kind of fix that? Absolutely. One, let's remove that barrier. Mm-hmm. Let's remove that barrier. Be intentional. And I, I'm thinking as I go like the fact that there is a barrier, that is a problem. So how Mm -hmm. can people who are scientists who may not look like me, who may not look like my student who had that conversation, are you coming, um, when when it even comes to science fair, are you intentionally coming to support our schools? Or are you going to the school just in your community? You know, are you even putting yourself out there to provide opportunities for other people and not just to do it in a generic, I don't care way, but are you in your heart wanting to do the work of removing these said barriers? And if you are, Mm -hmm. come to the hood, come to us, you know, because students don't always know. There are students who have not left their neighborhood and don't know what's out there. And probably won't ever have an opportunity to get out there unless we have the money to take you on a field trip. But why can't you come to us? Mm -hmm. Provide the same experiences that you may be providing your neighborhood. Come here. Come Mm -hmm. get to know a teacher. Be a mentor. Mm -hmm. There there are so many informal things that you can do Mm -hmm. if we, you know, want to remove that barrier of STEM or remove that mindset. Mm -hmm. A friend of a colleague of mine was telling me that there is a, a national organization, or maybe it's international because we're over here in Abu Dhabi, but it's a collective of scientists where you can go and access them and they'll Skype with your students. I forget the name of it. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll look it up for the show. Um, and so mm-hmm. I was thinking a little bit about that, just Skyping a scientist. And she said you can really select like demographics or a framework. And so we were kind of talking about the potential to help students see that scientists can look a lot of different ways and get passionate um, about whatever their specific vein of science is. Um, and so we were kind of talking about that. But she was saying um, a little bit, I think, to her chagrin, it's a lot of white dudes that are signed up on, the, on that site. But it, it's not completely that way. So it just that came to mind in terms of. Um, so just some practical connections. Do you have any other recommendations for um, groups or ways teachers can partner with uh, community organizers? Absolutely. I mean, well, one thing we can't change at this moment, like you said, that many of them are a lot of white dudes. There are other organizations out there. One on Twitter is I am a scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like this one as well because there are different people. There are so many different types of scientists and not only do it just show the different types of people, but it shows that scientists are people. 
Because there's a misconception on who a scientist Mm -hmm. is. And when people Mm -hmm. look at me or speak to me, they don't think, oh, she's a scientist. She knows her stuff. Yes, I do. Why? Why wouldn't I? Because Mm -hmm. you think I have a lab coat on. I I don't have, you know, I'm just living in the lab. And I like I am a scientist because it shows this person is a scientist. But guess Mm -hmm. what? They're also a gymnast. Mm They're mm-hmm. multi- They're more than that. So your mm-hmm. scientist is right there in your community, doing the things mm-hmm. that they're at Starbucks hanging mm-hmm. out with you. You just don't know. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah Starbucks. Like, anybody <laughs> a scientist in here? I'm really interested in learning about it. <laughs> you want to tell me? It's like less obvious than if you're like looking to be an airline, uh, you know, flight attendant. You like see flight attendants, or if you're looking. Yeah, actually, uh, Megan, can you ask that question about science education uh, that you had posed? You were thinking about. Oh, so, um, so just thinking about where science education has been and is, do you see a connection between kind of where science education has been and where the community and country response to COVID is? Uh, well, in science, where we're moving, we're moving in a three-dimensional approach where it's more than just knowing the content, it's also implementing those practices such as collecting and analyzing data, constructing an argument, um, constructing explanations, developing models. So we're so science, we're in that part now where we're in the practice part. We have to do something with this information and make responses with that information. So depending on where you are, depending on, you know, depending on where you are, different people are responding to the information different ways. But this is where we are with science, where we are doing science. This isn't just something that I read. This isn't just something that I just, oh, memorize. What What is COVID? What am I doing with that information? How am I making decisions mm-hmm. with the information mm-hmm. provided? So we're right here in the practices of it. Yeah. <laughs> So that's we're all so making a, faces, by the way, for listeners who can't see. All of us are yeah, just making faces. Like, so, so many faces. <laughs> so that's a great place for us to take a quick break. Um, and we will be right back. Hi, friends. This is Megan Holyoke. And Hope Take Bowling, host of the Channel 253 podcast, Interchangeable White Ladies. Tacoma and Pierce County's restaurant scene just keeps getting better and better. Even in the crazy time of COVID, you can order in and support great local establishments every day of the month and never have to repeat yourself. If you love to dine locally, then here's my challenge to you. Put your money where your mouth is and bank locally, too, with Pierce County's local choice, Tapco Credit Union. And yes, that is the corniest segue I've ever said. But it's true, though. I mean, you can also choose to keep your money locally, which is really exciting. TAPCO is committed to serving Tacoma and Pierce County, just like Channel 253. TAPCO offers services and programs that you need, such as home loans, auto loans, checking and savings, mobile banking, all with lower fees and better rates than the big guys. Plus, the knowledge that you are keeping your money right here with a credit union that supports the community you live in. To learn more about our local choice for money, visit tapcocu.org. Many thanks from us at Channel 253, an interchangeable white ladies podcast, the TAPCO, for all of your support. So welcome back, everybody. Um, Before we jump back into the conversation, we wanted to give a quick update on our book club. So we're excited to announce a collab with the Nerd Farmer podcast. We're both going to be reading and recording episodes on the book cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Tweet about the book with either Nerd Farm Reads or Read Less Basic. 
Awesome. So we are excited um, to hear a little bit more about your um, approach to teaching at this current time. As we talked about right before the break, we were talking a little bit about the context of COVID. And I'm curious if you can kind of describe what is your current um, teaching setup? What is your current, um, what does that look like right now in the schools that you're working in? Good questions. So right now, my district is virtual. That is how they responded to the data that is safe for the teachers, it's safe for our students, it's safe for everyone to be virtual. And it's there's bumps in the roads there. There's there's <laughs> there are good days and there are bad days, but we hold on to those good days because you feel like the superheroes that you are. And actually, I need to stop saying superheroes. Um, we'll talk about that later. But um, <laughs> I need to stop saying that. But um with that, the ways that I'm supporting my schools, because being in a new district is starting virtual, I don't have the same relationships with teachers that I did in my previous district. I start, you know, I was there my entire teaching career, and by the time I transitioned to district, I can walk in classrooms. Hey, teacher. Hi, friend. Right. How, how's everything going? You know, the relationships are there, mm-hmm. and it was it dawned on me in the summer during my transition that oh my God, how am I going to support these teachers virtually? They don't know me. They don't have these relationships with me. And then of course I said, I do it every day on Twitter. How many, I mean, there are people (laughs) I have not met that I will probably invite to a family reunion (laughs) because it's connected. So take those same practices and do it there. So to that point in my new district, I've been holding science chats with my teachers. So it's a very informal way. It's an informal PD. I won't even call it PD. It's just come in and chill. It's after hours. So that means you have to want to be here. Mm-hmm. And we just, they come with their questions. It's very personalized. I don't know what the checks are going to look like every week. They come in, they ask their questions. It could be about the content. It could be about the curriculum, what initiatives we have going on in our district. They're sharing strategies with each other. So not only are you chatting with me, but you, I'm trying to build a community that talk to your, talk to the people here, talk to the other teachers. So mm-hmm. we've been doing that and that's really been helping. And I'm just getting to the point, what's going to happen when I have over a hundred people in this chat? How am I going to handle that? <laughs> Luckily like 30 to 40 right now, but, um, yeah. but it's growing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that means it's filling a need, right? People are actually wanting to show up, finding that it's useful, finding that it's Mm -hmm. meaningful. And I'm happy about it because I love it. And then the good thing, like I tell them, please don't stay this entire hour. You have your question answered. You know, enjoy the rest of your day. Come get what you need and let's go. And sometimes it'll end up being a training on how to use Nearpod or Flipgrid or just anything that, you know, we're currently using. So I love it. That's like the highlight of my week. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I mean, the fact that, what I'm finding is the fact that teachers are showing up for more screen time mm-hmm. after teaching virtually, mm-hmm. that is such a testament to what you are doing. Because yeah. I got to tell you, at the end of a long day of virtu- like virtually teaching, the last thing that I want to do is like spend any more time on another virtual setting. So what like it's a testament to the work that you are doing. Um, and then hope you had a question. I just wanted to give props to that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was just thinking you brought up um, the use of Flipgrid and Nearpod, and um, I noted that you're an ambassador for those programs. What does that mean, first of all? And second, um, why those programs, and how are you using them right now in this virtual context? 
Oh, good questions. So Flipgrid and um Flipgrid Ambassador. I've been using Flipgrid since who 2017, maybe 2016. So I've been oh, hanging out with original. them for a while. <laughs> there are people been using it even longer than that. But um, I believe in Flipgrid. Anytime where we can collaborate, anytime where we can express what we're saying mm-hmm. and just the things that you can do now with Flipgrid. Oh my God, screen sharing, all that good stuff. So I actually have met people, really good friends from Flipgrid because trying to be the certified educator and the ambassadors. You have to respond yeah. to other people's things. And so I've made some really good friends from Flipgrid. And I love that it's not just about the tool, it's the community that they bring. Mm-hmm. And that's a core value to me, the community, the collaboration. So that's why I stick with Flipgrid um, because of those things. With Nearpod, I love the fact that Nearpod, not only is it the instruction, because I'm also about curriculum and about pedagogy and tech tools. So when those three things are talking to each other, you are talking to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nearpod is one of those tools where I can have my content in there. The pedagogy is there. And then I have this really good tech tool here that's doing it with me. So showing best practices, because the other thing with our tech tools, it's a tech tool. It's meant to enhance the instruction. It isn't the instruction. And Mm -hmm. there are times where I'm seeing teachers using Nearpod as a PowerPoint. Okay, well, then just Mm -hmm. use PowerPoint. If that's the intent, then use PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Because Nearpod is not PowerPoint. (laughs) And it's actually worse than PowerPoint in that sense. Okay. <laughs> right. But, yeah. And if it's, if it's just for PowerPoint, right? Like it, it doesn't function in the same. It's like it's, it's not PowerPoint. So it's so just use it. Yeah. Right. So be intentional about the tool, and that's the mm-hmm. other thing that I tell people. And you'll always hear me at least say Flipgrid, Nearpod, and Fet Simulation. And I know hundreds of other tools, but the the point that I'm bringing is find your three. What mm-hmm. are you trying to do with this lesson with your students? And find your good three that can do it and stay there. Don't follow the trends that you have to know everybody's tool. Mm-hmm. It's not you. about everybody. Yes. It's about your students. So anyway, yeah. my soapbox, but. <laughs> <laughs> stay on it. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Nearpod is one of those tools. And I've been rocking with them for a mm-hmm. very long time. So, but I can rock with them as well. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I use one- Nearpod every day. You do, yeah. Yeah, every day yeah. I use Nearpod. Um, so I was just curious. So as you've learned, the more you have learned in this virtual space and the more that you have been existing in this post-COVID education space, what have you learned like excellent and effective science education looks like virtually? That's great. That is a great question. So let me just say this. Starting off with a phenomenon, engaging those students, having, making sure that whatever it is, whatever your standard is saying that you are staying to your standard, that you are finding tasks that align to your standard, that you are assessing the learning, giving students think time. And these Mm. strategies don't sound very virtual. It sounds like good science instruction, period. And the point that I want to make, it doesn't matter your mode of instruction, whether I'm face-to-face or whether I'm virtual, if you are staying to the key components of three-dimensional science, you will be successful. Yeah, I'm going to have to tweak some things. Maybe I can't have all of my students doing wet labs. Maybe we're doing a virtual lab with FET simulation or gizmos or what other good things that are out there. Or maybe I'm doing the demo because there's a practice that says Mm. design and investigation. 
design and investigation isn't teacher. It's not hope designing the investigation. It's hope yeah. student. Yeah. So mm-hmm. while I'm on a demo on Zoom, I'm doing what my students are asking me to do. You ask me to design investigation students. What do you want mm-hmm. me to do? Peanut butter jelly sandwich. You know, I'll never forget my fourth yeah. grade teacher in the 90s, in a sense, introduced me to computer science by how do you want me to make a peanut butter jelly sandwich? And we had to tell her step by step when to put the bread <laughs> yeah. down, pick up the knife. And now, and it's funny, I'm just thinking about it now that she was introducing me to computer science, to sequences. She mm. was getting us there and we didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought about, um, I've been thinking about labs and like just how y'all are trying to manage the lab, the lab situation. Do you have any recs for really good programs that help simulate labs? Just for any yeah. of our science teachers who are listening. If you're using FET, FET simulation is one, they're free. So, and they're really good. They might not, they don't have every single lab, but they have some really good physics labs. And even if you're a math teacher, they have some really good mm-hmm. math um, manipulatives and just really good things there. So FET is one. Um, and I actually have a wakelet full of labs and investigation simulations that I've collected. And I can share with you if you want to have yeah, it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, if you don't mind, we can add it into our show notes and people can access it that way as well. Sure. Yeah, I used yeah. Wakelet. <laughs> it was hey. one of my first Wakelets. So I was getting into <laughs> that. Um, and of course, Explore Learning with Gizmos. Um, they are really good as well. Their math and their science, they are not free. And then even going back to Nearpod, and I think a lot of tools are recognizing now that, hey, we need to come together if yeah. we want to accomplish mm-hmm. things. So Nearpod actually has FET built in. Hmm. So um, I love that. I love what you were saying at the beginning, too, about it's not really about the tool. And I I think in this age, I I feel like especially since March, you know, all these first in March, people were posting, you know, articles for stuff that I'm like, you know, nothing about this. Like we, this is the first time this has really happened. And why are you telling people to go use this source or that source? Or like, they need to have like some fancy thing that they've added as an extension. Um, But just really thinking about good instruction in science and math and whatever it is, that is more important than whatever fancy bells and whistles. And so in thinking Mm -hmm. about that, one of the things we try to talk about on the show and, and wrestle with is like, how do we make sure that we center things like equity issues? How do we make sure that we center um, access for all of our students and kind of thinking about the, you know, the trendy phrase of culturally responsive practices or teaching and really thinking about how do we make sure that that's happening in the tools that we're selecting and also in, um, in obviously in our instruction, that that is what the tools are helping us deliver. Um, What are your thoughts around, around that? Is there anything that you're seeing is really helpful for teachers to think about that? Yes. Um, Depending on your district, if you already have curriculum that is created for you or you've purchased curriculum, the biggest piece is preparing. I'm guilty of it. I've walked in, I've walked in my class one day. I don't know what we're doing today. Let me see how much time I have. Okay, here we go. We're going with this. But then you're seeing all the bumps and rolls and the issues because we did not prepare. You have to be very intentional when it comes, even I'm just advocating for science right now, but you have to be intentional with science, especially with curriculum that's already provided for you. Remember, it's provided for you. It wasn't provided. It was provided for you, but it doesn't mean it was made for your students. Right. So you have to be able to read. You have to be able to pre-prepare and think, 
are the resources already here? Are these going to be accessible? Or will they create successful opportunities for my students? And I'll give an example of something that I was um, revising because I actually write curriculum on the side for other um, companies. And as I'm revising and looking at some things, there was one particular unit talking about sorting earth materials, uh, that the scenario is that a child has gone on a camping trip. And I said, red flag. <laughs> red flag. <Stop. laughs> I said, camping's great. I mean, I'll, I'll sleep in the tent every now and then. Ooh, I'll sleep in the you know, tent every now and then. I'll go out in the wilderness and make some s'mores. But I can speak to that experience. But can, every, can we ensure that every five and six-year-old can we ensure that they have gone camping? Can we assume mm -hmm. that they even know what camping is? Because right. in some areas they don't. So mm -hmm. how do you ensure you want them to use camping, but how do you ensure yeah. that they can also take something from that experience? So you may right. have to have some videos. You may have to have some books about camping so they can right. see the experience and picture it. And now guess what? Be successful with mm -hmm. the task. So it's things like that where you have, but you won't know that if you just came into the class and opened the lesson and said, right. this is what I'm doing. Yeah. That front loading prior knowledge piece is so crucial. Um, and I think about how many times where I thought I had planned and then I showed up and I'm like, you know what? I didn't think about this part that my students might not know this section. I just kind of made that assumption. Right. Um, and I'm kicking myself every time it happens too. It's <laughs> like, ah, why did I, I yeah, knew better exactly. than this. Why didn't I do this? But also just. Step? Of like bringing it back to the beginning of the conversation of being able, like students being able to see themselves in yeah. all yeah. aspects of the curriculum, right? Like being able to see themselves in that, being able to relate to that, being able to feel as though they are a part of that rather than just learning about something like, oh, that's not for me, right? And yeah. so that that is to representation in like the the like scientists that you bring into the classroom or expose them to but also just like do they feel that they belong in your curriculum mm -hmm. right do they feel like they belong in the content um mm -hmm. I think that that kind of wraps up um like <clears throat> incorporates what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode as well oh yes representation matters you have to have it and one of the things that I enjoyed doing for my students and I love I'm that teacher every four to five weeks you're switching groups because you need to learn how to work mm -hmm. with everybody and I will yeah. always tell them on the public transportation on the bus because some kids are on the bus to school <laughs> yeah you're gonna yeah. be sitting with any and everybody and you can't yeah. get into a little funky attitude because someone doesn't look the way you want them to look or smell the way you want them to look or whatever so I'm teaching you mm -hmm. how to work and get to know different people in their different ways. So every mm -hmm. five or six weeks, don't get comfortable in here. You're switching groups. But each group had a name. They were all named after different scientists. So there were true okay. representation. You're still going to have Einstein, but you're going to have Molina. You're going mm -hmm. to have a female. You're going to mm -hmm. have Hispanic. You're going to have an African-American. You're going to have a white person as well. You're having everybody that I can think of. And if there was mm -hmm. someone that wasn't represented, bring me someone. And I'll name mm -hmm. the group after them. Yeah, and so yeah. they had to research who that scientist was and how they contribute to our science. Yeah. Love that. So <laughs> as we wrap up, I would love for people to hear about how they could connect with you if they're interested. Obviously, we'll, we'll link to that in the, in the show notes here. Um, also, if you want to talk a little bit about your book uh, as part of just framing for folks, if they want to look more of that up as well. Sure. 
So the my Twitter handle, please follow me on Twitter. I follow back um, all about community. And I also have a music playlist, the, my professional learning network playlist that I like to throw oh. out every week where everyone, hey, what's your song of the week? Drop it. And I try to put it in a playlist so everyone can have it. Um, but my Twitter handle is DC underscore STEMtastic. It's a long name, y'all. <laughs> I'm sticking with it now. It's been some years. And <laughs> well, that's my name on Twitter. And hey, definitely connect. And my book, The Girlfriends Code, the sorority edition. I'm in a sorority, um, Sigma Gamma Rho. Our founder's day is coming up next week. Hey. Yay. And ironically, this book, I'm a co-author. It's about 15 chapters in every and we have representation from every one of our divine nine sororities. So the AKAs are in there, the Deltas and the Zetas, and we're in there. And we're all just talking about our code. What does it take to be a good girlfriend? And ironically, my sorority sister called me and volunteered me. Her name is Dr. <laughs> I love that phrase. She volunteered me. And I hope <laughs> she hears that she did it. She said, you're writing this. I need you to do this. You're doing it. Okay. <laughs> I love it. So in my chapter is about um just discovering who I am and how my sorority has helped me to do that. Mm-hmm. It's a really awesome. good read. Okay. Great. Um we would be remiss if we didn't do a quick champagne and real pain. Champagne for my real friends, real pain for my sham friends. And apparently in this, so in this yes. segment, we always uh, raise a glass of champagne and then we talk some smack about whatever we feel like. But I think we could focus on the champagne because, Doug, do you have some good news to announce to us right now? I do indeed. Uh, Go ahead. Be- Let's ra- raise our figurative glasses here. Like our figurative, I have my coffee cup. New York Times Associated Press, Bloomberg, a number of sources have declared that Joe Biden is the winner of the presidential race 2020. Yeah, thank you. That's a better tone horn than mine is. Oh my gosh. We're right here in this moment together. Wow. Yes. While we were recording a very historical moment. Crap. I know we're all just like, what? And I'm sure we want to go read all the things about it. Um, So we'll leave it at that. Any other champagne, though, since we're in the celebration mode? I feel like you're those athletes who you should have, like, literal champagne and just be, like, spraying it everywhere, like a phallic looking. (laughs) Either of you have anything else champagne-wise? I think that that takes the cake. Shout out to you all, because I, I really appreciate you all, one, having me and then really trying to make a difference with your podcast, you know, really wanting to empower and inspire. So I really appreciate. So shout out to you all. And thank you. Thank you. you Thank you for this opportunity. And, um, well, we have Thanksgiving break coming up. So that means sleep. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Not having to look at screens. Yes. Say the last line. That's so good. when It comes out your voice. Do your fudging homework. Interchangeable. Right, ladies! Okay, and so in this, my homework for people, um, besides going and picking up Chanel's book and, and reading that and sharing that with people that you know who would enjoy it, I also want to say keep doing the work. Now that, now that Biden's elected, this is when it's, I mean, we've all seen the stories on Instagram and everywhere else, like, the work has just started. We gotta keep doing it. So keep doing the work, get plugged in in your communities, just because, you know, it's the candidate you're excited about doesn't mean you shouldn't start donating to the same causes that you donated to back in 2016 when you're really mad about the other candidate who shall not be named. Um, like, just keep doing the work. So that's my homework for, for folks. 
Do either of you have um, work for our so listeners? So ditto to that. Um, but I also want to encourage our listeners to go watch Chanel's interview with Teachers on Fire. I watched a bit of it last night and it just is awesome. It is amazing. And so we're going to have the link to that interview um, in the show notes. But I just I encourage everybody to go watch. There's so many things to like grab um, in order to improve your practice. So I just want to put that out there. Awesome. Thank you. Chanel, any homework for our, our listeners? Well, can you keep a secret? Let me see if my kids aren't here. So we're surprising oh. them with a new dog. They're getting a new puppy oh. on the 12th. And we, so my whole life is about to be homework. <laughs> <laughs> we're adding a new member to the family. It's so funny because we're going to tell them, hey, you're going grocery shopping. We have groceries. Come help us get the groceries out the car. And as soon as the trunk lifts, they're going to see the baby. Oh my gosh, it's like oh, a movie. So sweet. <laughs> recording it <laughs> oh my god awesome. it's like a netflix movie i feel like right there well <laughs> thank you for taking the wrong. time <laughs> yeah we hope you have a wonderful thanksgiving break and i hope that pr- surprise goes really really well again thank yeah. you so much thank you for joining us thank you did you know channel 253 is member supported i'm producer doug Mackey, and i hope you will show your support by going to channel 253.com slash membership and join thank you Holy shit! Oh my gosh! Are we we sure? We're sure we're sure? The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Citizen Tacoma, Crossing Division, Flounder's B-Team, We Art Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.